Before I get into the sermon, um, I actually, I just got a text from my friend. Um, some of us have been praying for a friend who's in Jerusalem. Um, and I just feel this deep burden that we need to, as a church, be praying for our brothers and sisters over in Israel right now. Um, so this friend that's over there, her name is Sandy Swider, and she is single. And I know her singleness has been um, really, really hard for her. And, you know, trip of a lifetime, saved up, went to Jerusalem. And then the attack happened this week. Uh, she is with a group, but I know she's um, very scared. So I want to just share with you the text update from this morning. My tomorrow flight was canceled. I have a backup flight for Thursday, but that would mean staying here by myself and maybe, maybe not getting out after going to the airport by myself. I could also fly out of Amman by myself after four and a half hour ride through Jordan. I had the most important talk ever with my mom about faith, trust, and heaven. I'm going to stay with the group. What if all of this planning to get out was about my mom's faith journey? And of course, deepening my own. Um, and as we were reading Psalm 139, um, just reminded that God is not surprised by this. And her days were written. And um, even though it's very, very scary that uh, she is safe in his wings. And so if we can, as a church, just close our eyes right now and take a, a moment just to pray for um, just the brokenness of this world, um, for this fighting that's going on, um, for what that means for Israel, for the, all just the people involved, um, and that this was not a surprise to God, and yet it's just scary. So let's just pray for everyone involved. Lord, we lift up um, our dear, sweet friend Sandy to you um, and everyone that is a part of her group um, and everyone in um, just that part of the world that is going through so much. Lord, I just pray that you will uh, protect them, that your will will be done, Lord. Um, and ultimately, you have won the war. Um, and in the midst of all this fighting, Lord, I just pray that more and more people will come to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Well, today's sermon is about removing aloneness in relationships. Um, all week, David has been wondering just how much I'm going to throw him under the bus. So um, I'm going to be very kind. Um, we read Psalm 139 because it says over and over again, God knows us, loves, and will be with us always. The psalm has been my life passage because it says what I need to hear over and over again. This came to me when I got my first Bible at the age of 13. I remember um, just coming upon it and just clinging to it. And my parents weren't believers. Um, I didn't really know the Bible, but I just, something about these words pierced the deepest parts of my soul and saw me in a way that I needed to be seen. Um, 
Well, I have been on the journey of removing aloneness my entire life. Um, there's going to be three parts to today's message. Aloneness in marriage and relationships. Awareness removes aloneness. And then moving from aloneness to solitude. So first we're going to talk about aloneness in marriage and relationships. So aloneness isn't removed by marriage and relationships. In fact, it is where I've seen and experienced some of the loneliest moments of my life. The aloneness that I first saw in a marriage began before I was born. My mom and dad had an arranged marriage, and my dad was 13 years older than my mom. My mom, a 22-year-old bride, ended up moving to the U.S. to get married to someone she did not know. She had to navigate being in a foreign country, not knowing the language, not knowing anyone. Their marriage may have had passion and love in the beginning, but I did not see any signs of that in their relationship in my life. Not one kiss exchange no hands held, and I thought that that was normal. And in a way, it was. My parents could not give what they themselves had not received. It would take too long for me to tell you the stories of their childhood woundings and hardships. It seems like every time I have a chance to learn more about their story, I hear another chapter of extraordinary grief and loss. To sum it up, they both experienced extreme neglect and hardship and very little affection from their parents. So growing up, I saw firsthand extreme aloneness in my parents' marriage. What they modeled for me was self-protection, selfishness, and self-reliance. I longed for more in my own relationships, but I didn't know what that was or how to find it. I did not know how to desire more in a healthy way. I thought to myself, when I find the one, then this deep longing and thirst within me will be quenched. This other will be able to fill the void in my heart and make me feel whole. Henry Nouwen writes about this yearning in his book, Reaching Out. There is much mental suffering in our world, but some of it is suffering for the wrong reason, because it is born out of the false expectation that we are called to take each other's loneliness away. When our loneliness drives us away from ourselves into the arms of our companions in life, we are, in fact, driving ourselves into excruciating relationships tiring friendships, and suffocating embraces. To wait for moments or places where no pain exists, no separation is felt, and where all human restlessness has turned into inner peace is waiting for a dream world. No friend or lover, no husband or wife, no community or commune will be able to put to rest our deepest cravings for unity and wholeness. And by burdening others with these divine expectations of which we ourselves are often only partially aware, we might inhibit the expression of free friendship and love and evoke instead feelings of inadequacy and, and weakness. Friendship and love cannot develop in the form of an anxious clinging to each other. My therapist told me to read this book. So I spent many years in unhealthy relationships seeking for my partners what they could not give me and experiencing loneliness even in companionship. Then I finally gave up. 2005, I said, I'm done. I can't be in relationships, decided to give my life to Jesus. And it was a radical turn to God that included taking a break from dating and the relationships. And prioritizing my faith helped. I began to finally see myself in the light of who God said I was, not what I had been trying to find in a relationship. I longed to know more about God and read through the Bible for the first time that year. Everything was going so well until the end of that year when I was set up with David on a blind date. <laughs> And then it got better. But I thought I was ready. I had done so much healing work. I was in a graduate program even for marriage and family therapy. And I had been fully content in my singleness. 
but I was still early on in my journey with God and in learning about myself and others. I didn't realize how easily I would fall into looking to David to fill a void in my soul. I looked to him to tell me my worth, to show me by my actions how much I was, by his actions, how much I was loved and to make me feel okay. There was a deep longing within me, as Jeremiah had said last week, to be fully known and truly loved. I was looking to David to do this, but he couldn't provide that for me. In the best of circumstances, marriage is challenging. I think Christians like to use the word sanctifying, but ours was not the best of circumstances. (laughs) We both had so much baggage from previous relationships, our families of origin, and even from our own personalities and temperaments. The funny side note, when we took this, the little assessment that Jeremiah wanted the church leadership to take, I don't know if you guys noticed on the graph, some of you all, like, there is, like, everyone's kind of here. Jeremiah's, like, in the center. I don't know why you're in the center. You're, like, right in the center. And then David and I are, like, opposite ends. And I was, like, even in this assessment, here it is noted how different we are. Um, so when we did our premarital counseling, we took a test and this assessment as well. And it had like 11 categories, let's say, of, you know, noting the red flags, things that would be incompatibilities and just hardships. And 10 out of the 11 were red flags for us. And our premarital counselor was trying to counsel, counsel us of getting, <laughs> getting married because she was like, I don't think this is good. You guys are not compatible. This is really unhealthy. Maybe you guys should really think about getting married. And we, I said, well, that 11th one is faith, is, is virtue. And like, just, you know, I thought if God's got us, we can do this. So I thought we would, you know, still proceed. Well, two days before we got married, I tried to actually call off our wedding because all those red flag areas were coming to fruition. I was done with David. I was done with his family, worn out from all of our fighting, our fears, and our inability to see eye to eye on so many things. He literally got down on his hands and knees and was begging me to go through with our our marriage. And so on our wedding day, we barely made it through. We got married by a thread. So did I feel alone in marriage? Almost every day. The expectations I had for being seen, known, and loved were so often not met by David. We fought about the same things over and over again. And kids did not make it better. And what I mean by that is having kids. I was like, uh, how do I say this? Because I don't know if Kale's in the room. He might have left. But uh, um, having kids added just to the pressure cooker that was already hard enough as it was. And I wasn't able to look to my kids to fulfill my aloneness. So we were building a family, going to church, leading a community group, and clinging to God for dear life. Well, awareness removes aloneness. So this is the next part of our sermon. In our own strength and wisdom, we might have stayed trapped in that place of increasing hopelessness. But it's so often God's kindness to lead us to an awareness of how we are broken and what needs to be healed. Awareness, a revealing from God of who we really are, so often leads to removing aloneness. So I'll give you a couple examples of how God worked in that season of my life. First, I met a mentor who challenged me to understand that my emotions were connected to my beliefs. What I believed about a situation would determine how I felt about it. For some, including David, the path of growth is towards becoming more aware of the emotions, to acknowledge them and not stuff them down. But for me, being a very emotional person, I needed to use my emotions not as 
um, a license to do what I felt like doing in the moment, but as information to see areas that I needed healing in and areas that may have been linked to false beliefs. I had to ask myself, what am I believing about this situation? What am I believing about God? This led me to realize the times I believed I was a victim and blamed my circumstances rather than challenge my own unrealistic expectations and unhealthy beliefs. The beauty of what my mentor taught me was that challenging the beliefs behind my emotions didn't mean becoming unemotional. Emotions were the indicators on my dashboard to pay attention to my heart, given by God to help us be fully human and enjoy intimacy with God and others. I also learned that my desires are good. God created us with healthy desires, and so much dysfunction comes from deadening, denying, or distracting from those desires. But while we can have desires for others, we cannot have goals for them. And you can ask me a little bit more about this. I could go on, on and on about this, but for the sake of time, I won't. So we cannot control people, especially those we love. Rather than looking to David with the goal of him acting or behaving a certain way or giving me some certain things, I began to take release, I, I began to release him to God for those changes. It was a powerful change in how I related to David. And he learned the same lessons maybe 10 years later for me <laughs> during the season. So God used this time with this mentor and this teaching material to begin to free me from the trap I had felt I was in with David. I looked to him less with anxious clinging and more with honesty and vulnerability. I was less closed off to him. I was less alone. Then David and I learned about the Enneagram. This framework has become popular and is often misused to label and even judge others. But at its best, the Enneagram is designed for non-judgmental self and other awareness. It helps us to see a little bit better from someone else's point of view. It is so easy to intentionally and unintentionally try to make others see, think, act, and behave like ourselves. And this is especially true for those we are in close relationship with. For me and for David, who are so different, the Enneagram was gift of understanding that led to less judgment and more grace. And this helped us draw closer together, greater awareness and less aloneness. So moving now from aloneness to solitude. So this greater awareness is part of a deeper move that God wants us to take from aloneness to solitude. So Henry Nowen in that book, again, describes this movement this way. Instead of running away from our loneliness and trying to forget or deny it, we have to protect it and turn it into a fruitful solitude. To live a spiritual life, we must first find the courage to enter into the desert of our loneliness and to change it by gentle and persistent efforts into a garden of solitude. The movement from loneliness to solitude, however, is the beginning of any spiritual life because it is a movement from the restless senses to the restful spirit from the outward-reaching cravings to the inward-reaching search, from the fearful clinging to the fearless play. It seems strange at first, but there is an invitation to not avoid aloneness, but to transform it into solitude, a being with God, where, are we, where we are fully met and we are seen and known and completely known, and we are fully loved. Solitude is actually our home base. It is a place where we experience the rest of God, where we open our hearts to the one who can actually fill it. When the most intimate relationships disappoint me and I experience deep pain and aloneness, I have the choice to isolate and defend or run to Jesus. When I go to Jesus in solitude with my lonely heart, he meets me in that pit, sits with me, 
and walks with me to a place where I can risk again with those around me and re-enter into relationships with open hands and an open heart. Going to solitude removes aloneness. And in the journey of growing awareness, I was regularly led into solitude. It was Jesus who helped me to receive and understand the difficult truths I needed to hear. Learning to be with myself and know myself was something I had been too scared to do. I had spent my whole life looking to others to define me and help me understand who I was. And those seasons of life have been so painful. I did not want to look back at them. I was ashamed. And shame works to hide those deep parts of myself that do not want to be known. It says that if people see me for who I am, they will see how bad I am and reject me. Shame says I am something wrong, that something about me cannot be redeemed. I felt inadequately covered, as Jeremiah said in last week's message. So with any sign of disapproval or criticism, I would shut down my heart and defend my ego. And on Friday, during an argument that David and I had, it just was happening all over again. 16 years of marriage, and here we still are, where I find myself so tempted to shut down when I start feeling a little bit of that shame bubble up again. As much as David longs to show me love and care in the way that I need it, he won't be able to do that perfectly. There are still times when I feel not seen or I feel misunderstood and the shame kicks in. But rather than protecting myself and hardening my heart, letting aloneness come back into our relationship, I go to Jesus in solitude because he reminds me I am not alone, that David and I are in his hands, that God has been faithful, and he is bigger than our weaknesses and insecurities. I'm going to read Psalm 139's passage again just to remind us. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Yes, aloneness exists even in relationships and marriage. But the movement to solitude is full of growing awareness of the ways that God wants us to live in relationship with him and our loved ones. Solitude is where God can meet us in deep intimacy, remove our shame, and remind us that he knows us fully. He knew us before we were even born, and he truly, truly loves us. He has promised us his presence and his presence will lead us out of aloneness. So one of my favorite practices in the journey from aloneness to solitude is releasing prayer. This is a way to have a conversation with the Holy Spirit, to invite him to bring light to something that has been a burden or a block for you in your life. We're actually going to take some time right now to do um, some releasing prayer 
because I imagine, like me, you guys have some lies that you've held on to, um, some beliefs that you have seen take hold in your life because of what was modeled to you in marriages that you've seen, um, as well as the hurts and woundings that you've experienced. So if you um, feel comfortable enough to do so, can you please close your eyes and open your hands on your knees? Just take a few deep breaths and be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to you. Lord, I pray against any distraction right now. I pray against any unbelief. Um, I pray that you will guide us in this moment. I want you to first ask God, and you can say this under your, like just quietly, or you can say it in your head. God, what is a lie that I'm believing about relationships? God, can you bring to mind a memory that is at the root of that lie? God, who do I need to forgive? Remember, forgiveness is not saying that what happened was okay. It's saying that, God, I trust you to hold it, and I can release it to you. So if you are ready, I want you to, in your mind, forgive and release that person. And as you think about that memory again, I want you to ask Jesus, where are you?
Jesus, as I hand this lie to you and this hurt to you, what do you have for me in exchange? God, we thank you for um, the ways that you knit us together, that you knew our days, um, you know us so intricately in our deepest moments of shame, that you are there to show us how much we are actually loved and seen. Um, God, I just pray for any lies that we've been holding on to, any false beliefs that we have been carrying for so long, Lord. I just Pray that we will release them here, lay them at your feet, Lord. Give us um, freedom to love others well, to love freely because you have loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.